Hello, I'm Samantha Sear, and this is the Rooted by Nature podcast. I'm an artist and stay-at-home mum, and in this podcast, I'll be talking about how I connect with nature and the changing seasons. Welcome to the Halloween special. You may be wondering what Halloween has to do with feeling connected to nature and being aligned with the seasons. Well, there's a lot more to Halloween than meets the eye, and it's the perfect celebration for saying goodbye to summer and embracing the winter, reflecting on the year and divining what's to come, honouring ourselves and lost loved ones, bringing nature inside to spruce up our homes, baking sweet treats, making the most of the apple harvest, and best of all, tap into the amazing energy that's abound this time of year and work a little bit of your own magic. Halloween is one of my favourite celebrations of the year. As a child, I was enamoured with the idea of huge parties full of friends and families in marvellous costumes, a Halloween-themed feast, trick-or-treating and a never-ending supply of candy, all of which the American films, TV shows and cartoons promised but reality could be a deflating disappointment. Growing up in a less than idyllic corner of London, as a little girl knocking on strangers' doors asking for sweets, was quite simply asking for trouble, and my loving, responsible parents would not hear of it. So, on October 31st, I was not parading the streets in a film set quality costume, surrounded by a hundred friends, Instead, I was cosied up on the couch, dressed in full witch regalia, complete with black hat and broomstick, munching on chocolate and watching Hocus Pocus, which, to be honest, is still a lovely way to spend Halloween. I think a lot of people, like me when I was young, would associate Halloween, or All Hallows' Eve, with American movies, but it is in fact a very old tradition that has been celebrated here in the UK, across various forms for centuries, and its beginnings may stretch back as far as pre-Roman Celtic Britain. To start, let's look at the etymology. Halloween is thought to be an abbreviation or variation of Hallow's Eve, which came from All Hallow's Eve. Hallow means holy, so All Hallow's Day was to celebrate the holy ones who died for their faith, such as saints. And in the 8th century, it was Pope Gregory III who moved the date of All Hallows' Day from May 13th to November 1st, making the night before, October 31st, All Hallows' Eve. It could be said that the timing of this is rather convenient, as the Pope chose a date that was already important to the Celts, who celebrated Samhain for three days and three nights, from October 31st when the veil was thin between the world of the living and the dead, and so the people were encouraged to keep their feasts and festivities, but honour the dead saints instead, a church-sanctioned celebration without the pagan roots. So in the Christian faith, you have All Hallows' Eve on the 31st, All Hallows' Day to celebrate the saints on November 1st, and All Souls' Day on November 2nd to remember the dead. So... Let's talk about Samhain, because that's where this gets interesting. Samhain is a Gaelic word meaning summer's end. Before Christianity took a foothold in Britain, 
Celtic tribes worshipped the forces of nature, and this was a pivotal time when the natural world turned. The hot weather turned cold, long light days got darker, abundance turned to lack, and surviving the winter was at the forefront of people's minds. The Celts celebrated Samhain as a fire festival. The fire, as well as keeping everyone warm, would symbolise the sun, and the fires were lit by the Druids, who would pray to the gods for the sun to return. They believed it to be a liminal time, when the veil between our world and the spirit world was thin, and nothing is quite as it seems. It's a time of powerful magic, when the dead are closer to us and can be communed with, when the gods are to be appeased so that they may offer protection during the winter hardships, and it's a time when unwanted entities can cause havoc. Fairies, or the Fae, as you would call them so as not to cause them offence, would travel at this time from their summer hillocks to their winter barracks, so people would keep their babies safely inside so that they not be switched for changelings. And if you were unfortunate to have lost someone to the Fae, now was your chance to rescue them if you could snatch them from the passing Fae as they rode upon horseback. In Scotland, to protect themselves from malevolent spirits, people would dress up to disguise themselves in the hope that they would blend in with the other ghouls and creatures walking the land, a custom called guising, and one that we practice today. And children would perform or sing for neighbours in the hope of receiving food and sweet treats. Soul cakes is an old recipe that was used for such a purpose in England and they were made with raisins and warm spices like cinnamon, ginger and nutmeg. The more modern trick-or-treat version of this custom may have evolved from the displeasure of the mischievous children unhappy with the offerings made to them. In Ireland, root vegetables such as turnips would be carved and an ignited lump of coal placed inside and the lanterns would be used for protection to ward off spirits or to lead them away from the home. It seems like a novel thing to do now, but when you think about it, metal lanterns would have been expensive back then, as would candles, but the harvest would mean there'd be an abundance of vegetables and well worth sacrificing the food if it kept your family safe. It's thought that the Irish people emigrating to America during the potato famine brought this custom with them and turnips were replaced by pumpkins, which were better suited and plentiful. Candles were lit and left in windows to guide ancestral spirits home, and a dinner place was set for them at the table, so that the family could dine in silence with their deceased relatives, when for a short time the past and present and the living and the dead were suspended in a night that sat between worlds. As the nights got shorter and the weather got colder, Samhain was also the time when cattle was brought from their summer homes into their winter shelters and bonfires, or bone fires as they were, along with anything else that could be burnt, were lit, usually by druids, the Celtic priests, to cleanse and protect the land, the livestock and the people, and to ward off any evil spirits looking to cause mischief. Hearths, which is the fire people would keep alight in their homes, would be extinguished and relit using a torch from one of these bonfires, as it was thought to transfer the magical protection to their homes. The Celts feared the Fae, also believed to be a former pantheon of gods known as Tuatha Danann. But the fear 
of witches didn't surface until after the Roman invasions and the gradual conversion to Christianity. Modern Halloween imagery is peppered with black hats and broomsticks, along with spiders, bats and black cats, all of which were thought to be witches' familiars, and would allow the witch to possess them, so the witch could roam freely in the animal's body, which roots back to the superstition about it being bad luck for a black cat to cross your path, as you do not want to cross paths with a witch. There doesn't seem to be a solid theory about the origins of the black pointy hat, but the cauldron makes sense, as it was essentially the most practical way to cook over the hearth. The flying broomstick? Well, that has a very different story, and you may never look at a broomstick the same way again. As I classified this podcast as clean and not explicit, I'll skip over the details here, but for the curious, it involves a flying ointment, toxic herbs, hallucinations, and the highly inappropriate misuse of a broomstick. I feel like I'm painting witches in a rather bad light here, so a quick digression. Samhain is important to modern day witches, especially those who follow the Wiccan faith, Wicca being a nature-based religion, and Samhain is celebrated as the Wiccan New Year. I also think it's worth mentioning that contrary to Hocus Pocus and other Halloween movies, modern day witches, not Satanists, I'm talking about witches, do not worship the devil. In fact, witches, Wiccans, Druids and pagan groups don't believe in the devil as the devil is a big part of the Christian faith. He doesn't belong to earlier faiths. Pagans did worship nature gods such as Pan, who has horns and hoofed feet, and you can see how this crossover could occur when a religious conversion supplants an existing belief system. But we can't mention witches without talking about magic, and this is the perfect time of year for divination. In other words, a way to divine the future. Tarot cards, pendulums, runes, scrying, tea leaves, black mirrors and crystal balls are all types of divination, but there is so much more, many idiosyncratic to the people and culture in which it's practised. A common tradition in Britain was to throw nuts into the fire, so much so that it used to be called Nutcrack Night. If the nut was consumed by the fire, the answer to your question was an agreeable one, but if it put up a fight and spat and hissed, then the answer was not looking good. Hazelnuts were a favourite for this, as hazel trees are deemed to be magical and act as a gateway to the other world or land of the Fae. Another form of divination that pops up all over the UK is peeling an apple skin in one long piece, throwing the peel over your shoulder and looking at the shape it lands in. If the shape resembles a letter, then it's the initial of your future lover. Apple bobbing was another variation, and initials carved into the apple would indicate a future coupling. Apples have been important at this time of year, and have symbolised health and fertility for a very long time. This makes sense, really, when you consider how essential the apple harvest would have been to ensure provisions for the months to come. Large or small, sweet or sour, the apples could be eaten fresh at the Samhain feasts, offered to the gods and spirits, stewed, baked and dried to be stored away, and also fermented to make cider to see people through the dark nights. The Romans worshipped Pomona, 
a goddess of fruit and trees, who is usually depicted with apples. Apples were also sacred to the Norse, and their goddess Idan gave apples to her followers to keep them young. The ancient name for Glastonbury is Avalon, meaning Isle of Apples, and Bran, a hero in Irish mythology, is tempted toward paradise by a branch of apple blossom, taken from a place where apple trees blossom and fruit simultaneously. The crab apple tree is the only one native to the UK and was thought of as a magical tree because it has thorns and belongs to the rose family, along with hawthorn, blackthorn and rowan, all trees thought to protect and guard against evil. It was those that invaded Britain that each brought their native apple pips with them, especially the Romans, who planted apple trees throughout their empires. Apples are a sensible snack for marching soldiers, as they're sustaining, full of vitamin C, and keep well when dried. So when you think of it this way, that's a lot of discarded apple pips dropped en route all over the country. And it is a good thing to leave the pips, as the shiny coating contains cyanide. It's thought that this preserves the seed, which is stripped of its protective coat by the stomach acids of the birds that eat them, and then they're excreted far from the parent tree, thus propagating the plant. Another reason why apples are magical is that when you plant apple pips, the tree that grows will be a complete surprise. It might be a different but familiar variety of apple, or it might be an entirely new species of apple never seen or tasted before. I love the magic of this, but if you want to get scientific, then it's because apple pips have over 50,000 genes to choose from, given by the parent plant, the most complex plant we have. And because of this, what you get is complete potluck, which is probably why we have grown over 6,000 varieties in the last 2,000 years. To this day, apples are used by witches, Wiccans, pagans and druids as part of the autumn equinox and Samhain celebrations, and when cut in half, the star-shaped formation of pips represents a pentagram. A pentagram is a hollow, upright, five-pointed star, and it's been used as a talisman to protect against evil for thousands of years. Each point usually represents the elements, beginning with spirit at the top, and then water, fire, earth and air. Put a circle around it and you've got a pentacle. Turn it upside down and you have an inverted pentagram, which represents chaos and overturning the natural order of things. And it's this symbol you often see associated with black magic. Halloween is celebrated in so many countries around the world and in so many different forms. Over time, I've swapped the more commercial concept that's prominent in the American culture, with a celebration that reflects more of the Samhain connections with nature. It feels more authentic to me and has roots in England, Ireland, Scotland and Wales, which is where my heritage lies. If anyone has watched the TV shows Vikings and Britannia, my ideal Halloween would be a rather romanticised combination of the Druids, bonfires, feasting and face paint. But I would definitely leave out the blood sacrifices. However, I don't think I'd pull any of that off without a rising concern from the neighbours, so I tend to focus on the little things that I can do on my own. I don't think that there ever needs to be an excuse to remember our lost loved ones, but it is a good reminder. 
For me, I lost my nan when I was 28 and I'm so lucky that she was such a big part of my life for so long. I have framed pictures of her up anyway, but on this particular night, I put my favorite photo of her in the middle of my dining table and around it, I place a few of her things, a necklace, a little brass pixie, a note with her handwriting on, and I surround it in fairy lights and autumn leaves. When my toddler is safely in bed, I light a candle next to the photo, say a few words in the hope my nan will hear them, and leave it burning all evening and blow it out when I go to bed. I also like to work a little bit of magic on my own too. Bay leaves are synonymous with protection and cleansing, and if there's something I want to let go of, be it a worry, a bad memory, or even a person I'd rather forget, then I write a word or two on a dried bay leaf and set it alight burning away that which I want to let go of. I would recommend not standing too close to a burning bay leaf, as the fumes can be hallucinogenic. Burning herbs is an ancient way of cleansing and protecting the home. Sage is most commonly known, although it's best to use garden sage if you have it. Sage is a bit of an energetic bleach, potent and efficient, but cleanses a space of all energy, be it good or bad whereas other herbs are more gentle and have additional qualities. Most people burn herbs in the form of smudge sticks, dried herbs bound together in a bundle tied with cotton, and this produces a lot of smoke, and I find it easier to just use a few leaves. My kitchen is strung with dried herbs that I've taken from my garden, so I just take a few leaves, light them and drop them into a heatproof dish. Anything you'd use in the oven would do. On Samhain night, as it's a special occasion, I go one step further and use a little charcoal disc placed in the bottom of a miniature cast iron cauldron and on top of it I pile a combination of herbs and flowers that I've collected, dried and kept in jars throughout the year. But to be honest, raiding the kitchen spice rack is fine too. Each herb I choose serves a purpose, such as bay for protection and cleansing, rosemary for healing and good luck, thyme for abundance, and after igniting the coal I say a few words over it, take the cauldron out into the garden to release the smoke and take my wishes up to the stars. I love pumpkins, but as I have a toddler that is not old enough to join in or appreciate the time and effort that goes into carving them, I cheat, and I draw the faces and pictures on with a permanent marker. Yes, I know I can't light them up, but being a mum comes with its compromises. And I can't resist the cute little squashes that I decorate my bookshelves with. And if I fancy eating one, I stuff it and bake it. It's such an easy dinner. Just cut off the top of the squash, scoop out the seeds and fibrous bits, rub with oil inside and out and fill it with whatever you fancy. Pop the top back on and bake it in the oven for an hour or so. My favourite is pearl barley simmered in stock and fresh herbs and bejeweled with cranberries, pine nuts and pecans, sprinkled with pumpkin seeds and some feta or some good cheddar cheese. Another option would be rice and beans or even macaroni cheese, maybe with some soft buttered kale on the side. This may sound surprising, but I tend not to decorate my home in typical Halloween paraphernalia that can be found on supermarket shelves and shop windows but instead opt for more autumnal displays. So instead of pumpkin garlands, plastic bats and cotton wool spiderwebs, 
I prefer vases of twigs, hawthorns, rose hips and oak leaves, glittered pine cones and acorns, garlands of autumn leaves and fairy lights. This is partly because I'm lazy and I don't want to go to all the trouble of decorating the house only to take it all down again a week later. So instead my autumnal decorations look gorgeous and go up any time after the autumn equinox. They keep me smiling through November and don't come down until I swap them with Christmas decorations in December. I was excited to discover that my local garden centre had a whole section of autumnal decorations that was hidden at the back to allow room for the overwhelming array of Christmas trees, lights and decorations. I love all of this come late November, but October is a little early for me. Anyway, I found these big, beautiful artificial mushrooms wrapped in paper, dusted with glitter and capped in soft dove grey velvet. I brought a couple home and used one as the focal point for a centrepiece for my dining table, sitting it on a gold maple leaf mat, framing it with a branch of oak leaves and scattering the base with pine cones, conkers, acorns, sweet chestnuts and wild hazelnuts still in their delicate feathery green cups. It doesn't sound at all Halloweeny, but it makes me smile every morning and reminds me to connect with nature and squeeze a little time into my day to see what's changing outside. I think little rituals can be a balm for the soul and Halloween, Samhain, Summer's End or whatever you'd like to call it is the perfect time to practice little rituals that can enrich a moment in the day. For me, one little ritual I do each morning before I start the day has kept me sane as I've adjusted to being a stay-at-home mum. In the morning, I come downstairs bundled in a thick dressing gown and slippers and put a fresh pot of coffee on. While I wait for the coffee, I step out into the garden and look at the sky as the sun rises. I take a few deep breaths, noticing the leaves turning and the flowers still blooming and I feel truly grateful for another day. Then I sit at the table to drink my coffee. It's quiet and everyone else is still asleep. I light a few beeswax candles placed next to my autumnal display and the light makes the glitter shimmer and sparkle and I enjoy just that little time on my own to gather my thoughts before the day begins. Some days I'm lucky and I'll get long enough to journal or read or work on a project. Other days I might only get halfway through the coffee pot before my son wakes up. Although we're no longer dependent on the natural world the way that we once were, there is something that makes me feel more balanced and aligned if I can somehow incorporate the changes outside with my lifestyle inside. When I worked an office job in London, my routine changed very little, and so the shift from summer to winter wasn't really on my radar, other than the change in wardrobe and leaving in the dark and getting home in the dark. So now that my life has changed so much, and my days are no longer confined to an office. I try to align my home, habits, diet and routine with the changing seasons. Another little ritual I have is an autumn box, which comes in very handy when I'm decorating for Selwyn. When October rolls around and I get in the autumn mood, I open up my autumn box, which to be honest, is like a little present to myself. All it is, is a box full of anything and everything I've collected over the years or nabbed in a sale or been gifted 
that's perfect for this time of year. I pack up everything that reminds me of summer and it gets boxed up and put away in the garage and out comes all things autumn. This year it was a woodland animal cushion cover, beeswax candles, a wreath for the front door, a little pumpkin that my mum crocheted for me last year, a witchy breakfast bowl, a Halloween mug, new slippers, my dressing gown, I'm going to stop there as this is starting to sound like the generation game and I'm really showing my age there, but you get the idea. It's a convenient way of keeping everything together and out of sight so that I don't get bored of looking at the same things throughout the year. I swap out photographs in my picture frames, so a photo of my toddler in the sandpit, a day out at the seaside, a picnic in the park, becomes my toddler in a pumpkin patch, a family photo at an apple day festival, and my son playing in a mountain of fallen leaves. I switch my cool white bed linen for soft, warm, autumnal coloured bed sheets. I change over my mugs so the floral ones go away and my Halloween mug and my pumpkin-shaped teacup comes out. I even change over my tea towels so the bright flowery ones and those adorned with pink radishes and green peas are now orange, white and yellow, covered in pumpkins and leaves. It sounds like work, but it isn't. As I'm packing up my summer wardrobe and changing all my clothes over to my winter wardrobe, I'm just doing the same thing with my home decor too. Maybe not everyone does this, but I only have one small wardrobe and there are three of us. Changing everything over in one go is an efficient way for me to save space and I don't have the room in cupboards and drawers to have everything in the house at once. I also try to adjust my routine for each season. So I try to consciously change what I'm eating and drinking from one season to the next so that I have something to look forward to. In the cold months, I add butterscotch syrup or pumpkin spice to my morning coffee. Instead of yogurt and granola, I opt for hot, creamy porridge with stewed fruit and nuts for breakfast, soups and fresh bread for lunch, and I dust off my slow cooker and plan one-pot meals that use up all the seasonal root veg. As I said earlier, for some people, this is their new year, and personally, I much prefer the timing of this. On the 1st of January, I'm trying to fight the overwhelming urge to hibernate. Outside is cold and grey and the trees are bare. The house feels odd without the Christmas decorations up. I'm exhausted after all the family festivities and regret the excessive intake of rich food and drink. And I'm trying to avoid looking at my bank account. Whereas on the 1st of November, the landscape looks like a painting. There's a real buzz in the air and flurry of activity, a feeling of so much to do and excitement to come, the winter to prepare for. And it does, to me, feel like a rather natural time of the year to begin again, a time of renewal. Thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this Halloween special. If anyone is interested in the books that contributed to this episode, I will list them in the show notes along with a link to my Instagram account where I'll be posting pictures of what I'm making, baking and up to in general. Happy Halloween everybody and I hope you'll join me in November for the next episode of Rooted by Nature.